The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. The door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. The Gospel of our Lord. So marriage... The topic of marriage. Marriage is one of the cornerstones of the scriptures. If you understand marriage, you'll understand a whole lot that's going on in the Old Testament and a right way of interpreting that and implying it. And not just Old Testament, but the New Testament. The fulfillment of God's salvific acts in the life of Jesus Christ. If you understand this theme of marriage and the pieces of marriage, then you'll have a great insight to who we are as God's people and how to interpret scriptures. So today, we're going to look at marriage as it would have been understood by people um, in, in the first century world. And though it might be foreign to us, some of the language is foreign to us, um, it doesn't change its reality and its truth for us as Christians. Okay, The world doesn't know it, but we're going to know it. So in marriage, here's some of the marriage tradition. How it begins. An ancient Jewish marriage involved a... A prospective groom approaching the father of the prospective bride and um, to state his desire to be married. So that's how it would start. Uh, he, this young guy would go to the house and he would say, Sir, I would like to marry your daughter. Unless he did that, there was no marriage. That, that was the first thing you did. You approached the father, you approached the family, and you say, Sir, I would like to marry your daughter. And then if he saw you, and knowing you, because most times they knew about you because it was a smaller world, and he would decide whether to continue on or not. If he said no, it was over. There was no passing that. If dad did not give his blessing, if mom did not give the blessing, the family did not receive that request with a yes, it was over. But if the father said yes, um, then it would move on to the next part of this entrance to it. There was a negotiation of sorts because his, val- his daughter was valuable. Not just in the material goods he would get in, op- in compensation for raising her up, but his daughter's value because it was his little girl. We know what that is. And so for his little girl, he would get a price, and, the, and they would have this negotiation price. Well, I want 100 camels. Well, I only got 10. Well, there's a problem for you. Whatever it is, you had this, this um, interactive piece. But somewhere in here, there was a price that, was, that seemed fairly close, that this potential groom could offer. 
And so with this last little negotiation piece, father and bride and family would go over there and, and think about it and pray about it. Meanwhile, the groom would be here and he would take out his, his container of wine and he would pour this glass of wine and he'd put it on a table and he would sit down. And he would wait. He would wait for the answer. When the family would come in, if the bride went over to the table and she took the cup in her hands, and if she took a drink, that was a yes. That was, she had just received her side of the covenant, and she did it with the drink from the cup. She sat it down, then the groom would take that cup, and he would take a drink from that cup, and at that point, it was sealed. That cup was a covenantal cup. He would sit it down, and it was established. From that point on, the only thing that could separate it would be illegal procedures of a divorce. Now, when you think about that, hopefully as I'm saying these things, images in your mind come to mind about Holy Communion, about the price Christ paid to receive His bride, the church, about the price that Jesus paid to redeem the world, to buy us back, a holy people to Himself. Your images of that marriage interactions Glimpse it over to personal relationships with Jesus. The groom paid the agreed price at that point. He brought in whatever the agreed price was and he presented it to the family. And it was done. That part of it was done. But from the moment that happened, the bride was exclusively the groom's. She was her, his. That was his. They weren't, the, the marriage procedure hadn't been all the way to the end, but that bride was now that groom's. She was um, to be singly in devotion to him. A relationship that would include her body, her soul, all that she was, was to be given to him. And as you think of that, you can think of some things that Paul was teaching in his church about a singleness. You cannot love God in money. You cannot do these things. You, you're just to be set apart blameless and holy for that. We are our Lord's as much as the bride was to be set apart for her husband. Echoes of these things. It was a highly legal binding contract, and it was set. Now, the second stage was this. Having completed that, Drinking of the cup, and it was firmly established. The groom gave the bride a veil that she would wear, and he would leave. And as he left, he would say the words, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will return and to take you to myself when it is ready. And he would leave. You have any echoes of gospel lessons in your mind on that? When Jesus is with his disciples in an upper room, or when Jesus is with his friends, Lazarus, I'm going to prepare a place for you. All these things are swirling. I'm preparing a place for you. Where I'm going, you cannot come now, but I am coming back for you. You are mine. Echoes of this bride, marriage, groom event. I think it's just beautiful, actually. All right, so the practice was then for the man to return to his father's house, and there he would build the honeymoon room and or the room that they would live. Um, It would serve as their initial home. It was connected to his father's house almost always because the families were always connected. They had that sense of connectivity. 
It was not broken. It was not as separated as we might experience in our world. It wasn't as private where everybody has their own multi-thousand foot square foot home and they established it. No, here it was next to them and with them. And we, we, we came together in the world and we left the world as a family. It was all connected. So this groom went home to his father's home to build a place for his bride. Now, the father interacted in this piece, too, keying on the, the beauty of this. The father would make sure that the young man would not skimp on this building of the house because he was so enthusiastic about going to get his bride, right? That can happen. You can be so enthusiastic about something over here you don't do the work necessary for. You just want to bypass the work. So the father made sure that the foundation was going to be set right. And the father made sure that the son was going to build the walls right. And the father made sure that the roof was going to be stable because the father made sure that that son was going to be able to take care of his family. It was an extension of his family. Now through his son, it was growing. And the father was all involved with this. He had to make sure his son built it right. And um, before he could go and bring his bride home, to bring the bride unto himself, he had to have the father's permission. So, in these small communities, you can imagine friends and families and neighbors, they all know what's going on. They all know that this young man has found a bride and he's preparing a place for her and he's working like the dickens to make this place ready so he can bring her home. The family's all preparing all the food necessary for a feast and gathering all the wine necessary for the feast. All of this stuff is stirring up. And no doubt the young man's going to be asked, he said, so when's the date of the wedding? That's a natural question. When's this going to take place? And the groom's only reply would be this. Only my father knows. Any hints of scripture that says that? When all the people are wondering, Lord, when are the last days going to happen? When are the stars going to do this? When are the moon's going to do this? When, are these, when is the last day? And Jesus says, only the father knows. Echoes of the wedding. If you understand the wedding, you understand a lot. Only the father knows. This is also a period of time that the bride, so while the groom's off preparing this place, it's also a time for the bride to do the bride's work. She is being trained on what it means to move from being a young lady to more of a woman. She's being given the, the things that mothers need to know, the, the advice and the encouragement that a veteran woman can give to a younger woman because they've been there and they've done that. Ideas about about what it's like to have a husband, ideas about what it's like to have a child, ideas about what it's like to, to raise a family, there are ideas about what it means to take care of a house and to do your part of it because women have a powerful role and they've always had a powerful role in the home. It's not a man only, it's a man and a woman together. It's like one plus one is three. And in there, she had her role and she was being raised up and prepared for that. Um... She was also in the idea of being clean and holy and preparing her body and her spirit to be, be received as a bride. And if you're hearing this, being prepared for the groom's return to collect, you can think of St. Paul in his letters to his friends saying, I'm preparing you as a church, as a bride. Paul was always preparing these people for the Lord's return. He wanted his church to be holy and blameless before the Lord, pure before the Lord without blemish before the Lord. We are as brides, men and women. It's not about the gender at this point. We are to be holy and blameless before our Lord. We are to be ready for the day He comes to gather us home. All that is being reflected in this wedding preparation. Third stage. When the wedding chamber in the house 
it was all ready, it was built, and the Father gave the word, then um, he would give the permission, the Son would go to gather his wife to himself. Frequently, the groom would set out with his groomsmen, and they would do this at night. The groomsmen had their torches, and this canopy, the shelter, with four poles to support the poles, and they would travel from the father's house towards the bride was going to be. And since the groom could arrive at any time, that was part of the suspense and the anticipation and the joy of this event, the groom could arrive at any time, and usually it was at night. That means that the bride and her bridesmaids had to make special preparations. As they were anticipating this day of, their being, of this woman being married and being taken by her husband to their new home, as they did that, they made sure that they had a lamp with oil, a lamp and an extra container of oil. The bride kept by her bed and her person at all times her veil and other personal things that she would take with at a moment's notice. Her bridesmaids were also waiting because they wanted to be a part of this celebration. They were a part of the receiving and the giving and the the party that would follow. And so they had to have their lamps so that they could light the way for the groom to find the bride and also then walk with the bride all the way to the other house. They had their lamps and they were to be ready. When the groom and his friends got close towards this house, this little community place perhaps, um, they would give a shout with the shofar, this, this horn of sorts, and they would blow a duh, and they would make the announcement that the groom is coming. And those in the community knew that this was going to happen as well. And so the groom, they would come out and they would start to yell. And for it's kind of like their communication change from one to the next to the next to the next. Um, as the broom got closer, they could travel with sound faster than they could travel by foot. And they'd holler out in advance, he's coming, he's coming. And they would say this, behold, the bridegroom comes. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Exactly what Jesus said in the gospel lesson. The community celebrated this event. Also echoes a book of Revelation and other books where the trumpets are sounded in heaven and the angels of the Lord are going out with the Son of the Lord to collect His church, the saints, to bring them all home. What an event. All of heaven sounding out. Here comes the Lamb of God, the Lion of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Again, scriptures relating to this marriage event. The bridesmaids would then gather to the bride. They would light their lamps. They would line the pathways. The bridegroom, his men would hold this canopy, about an eight foot by eight foot canopy on the pillars and provide shade and, and just, like we've got this. We've prepared a place. And the bridegroom and the bride would all walk underneath that and they would all make the procession. The bride and her bridesmaids the groom and the groomsmen would journey towards the father's house where the son and the father had prepared a special place. The wedding guests would already be assembled and would be continuing to assemble. Now, shortly after the arrival of the bride and groom, they were escorted by the members of this wedding party to the new home, this new bridal chamber. And while the groomsmen and the bridesmaids all were outside, bride and groom entered the bridal chamber alone. There in the privacy of the room, they entered into physical union for the first time. They consummated their marriage that had been covenanted about a one year earlier. After the marriage was consummated, the groom came out of the bridal chamber and he announced the consummation of the marriage to the members of the wedding party and they celebrated. He provided the bedsheet to the family. There would be no divorce. They offered their bride spotless and blameless, and they had that. 
The marriage covenant was complete. Seven days, seven nights, the family and friends would then celebrate again with feasts of food and wine and dancing and laughter and storytelling, families coming together. And no one would ever want to miss being a part of that wedding ceremony because it was good. Like few things in that world were ever going to be that good. The wedding, it's all connected. Hopefully as you heard this, you heard the thing a little bit about echoes when we did this. Some things you can share. Some things you don't share. At the early service, one of the answers about the sharing part, one of the things that you don't share is your spouse. The lady said, my husband. I'll share my food. I'll share, I'll share my bed. I'll share my house. But I'm not sharing my husband. There's a hint of holiness codes in there, is there not? We can give the world all kinds of ourselves, but we do not give the world certain things. Some things in our lives are holy and unblemished and they'd be given to the Lord alone. Some things you give only to your spouse that no one in the world will ever know except your spouse. Now, our world's changed that. You give it all away at all the times and nothing's holy. But scripturally, and as God's people, some things are holy. And some things about ourselves are not to be given away to anybody at any time. They're reserved for God and God alone. And on today's like today, we remember that truth. And we're to remember that He loves us and He forgives us and He's prepared a place for us and He's on His cross. He has paid the price to bring us home. It's not about our being perfect. It's about His great love for us. It says, I love you in spite of you and I'm taking you to myself. We do our best to be holy and blameless and we fight for that and we're not going to make excuses for it. We cling to that simultaneously. We also know that we're loved in spite of ourselves. And He will wash our robes. He will make us white. The other piece of this is a celebration for everybody. How sad the foolishness that those five people in the, in the Bible lesson, the five is the example, that they didn't get to celebrate the party. They didn't present their bodies as holy and blameless. They didn't live in excitement for the day. They didn't keep themselves reserved for that day. And they didn't celebrate in that day. They missed out. Everybody else had a feast like no others. Everybody else was celebrating this union, this contract, the joy of all that is. But some were left out. Some things only we can bring. And on these days, as we approach the last day of the church here, that's Christ the King Sunday. On that last judgment day, the church remembers every year. Sometimes it's not about who you're married to or what family name you have how much money you have or how much house you have. None of this stuff matters. It's going to matter, do you know who your Lord and Savior Jesus is and does He know who you are? That's it. And you can't borrow that. That's one-on-one, face-to-face, does He know you're not? It's not about perfection or imperfection. It's just, do you know Him? And so as a church on this day, we're called again to make sure we are striving to know who Jesus is. We're striving to present our bodies and our lives as holy and blameless, living according to the holy codes that God has established. It's God's world. We are His. We're going to live that way. And we're going to let the world know. We're going to know. We're going to live that way. And we're going to invite the world into that same thing. Knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. God help us be that church. Amen.